We're starting a new series for the next three weeks. Uh, You see that the Jehovah Jireh box is down here. Those two things are tied together. What we want to talk about is what we tend to talk about every November. And you may be saying, well, we, we talk about these things every November. The box comes out every November. Um, what, what new thing can we learn? Well, here's what I'm finding out. This familiar passage of scripture that Don read for us this morning, every time that the Lord Jesus speaks to me, every time he addresses the issue of my stewardship in his kingdom and the investments that I make, in his kingdom, I'm challenged again. And at the level of my heart, I have sought him out this week regarding a number of ways in which I have invested in this earth. And I hope today to challenge you, my friends, that you, likewise, this week, have invested heavily at times, sometimes uh, with all of your heart in the issues of the kingdom of earth. But there is hope for every one of us sinners this morning. And that is the glory of Jesus Christ to reorient us around the kingdom of heaven and what he has in store for us through his word. And yes, it is tied to the subject of generosity. Our our subject and our series is called GLAD. And that's an acronym for Generous Living as Disciples. And Matthew 6 is the main text that we'll go through between now, next Sunday, and the Sunday after that. Today, I'm teaching through Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 23, and if you don't have your Bibles open, you can go ahead and open to that section of Scripture again, and we'll get right to that. Let me ask you one question. What comes to mind when you think about heaven on earth? Heaven on earth. Could it be perhaps the laughter of your grandkids? Could it be walking into your home to find a peaceful environment where you could sink into your lazy boy and turn on sports? Is it the sizzling sounds and smells of bacon? Heaven on earth. Is it the smoky mountains on a clear fall day? Thank you that you're here instead of out there right now, but I hope you can get out there if that is a bit of heaven on earth for you. Is it a a pumpkin spice latte on your back deck on a cool morning as you see the sunrise. You know, I'm being a bit facetious, but at the same time, there are certain slices of good things that we enjoy in this life. And at those moments, it can seem like a little bit of heaven on earth. See, we don't have a hard time finding those moments. And they are innumerable, thanks to the grace of God and what he does for us. But I think an issue for me, and I would say I I think it is an issue for you too, is what we do when those moments become what we live for. And we lose sight of the God that we know loves us. And we know that we're supposed to love him more. So what are we to do with these heaven on earth type moments? And I may not even have touched one of the, the things that you treasure most here on this earth. But the truth is, what do we do in that tension that we feel between the values on earth and the things here that we enjoy so much and the values of God and the things that are on his heart? You know, I'm so thankful that I'm not left to myself to figure out how to navigate that tension. You know, Jesus, our Lord and King, came down here to this earth from the throne room and the palatial halls of his father God in heaven. 
Think about what Jesus observed as he was here on the earth. He came from a place of untouchable beauty, a place of imperishable wealth, a place where everything was perfect. And the kind of perfect that you're not afraid to touch because you might spoil it, but it's a perfect that can never be touched by the sinful hands of men and women and ruined and plunged into decay. Jesus came from that down to earth where in the psalm, the song that we sometimes sing, abide with me, change and decay in all around I see. You know, this is what Jesus observed when he came here to this earth. And yet he could enjoy the things of life. He could take a, 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 a day with his disciples fishing on the lake, a, a meal with his friends, drinking the wine and eating the delights of the Middle Eastern fair, and still tell those around him that that wasn't really heaven, that there was joy beyond that, and that the investments we make in this life really matter. And they, they tend either towards earth and its decay or heaven and its brilliance, heaven and its glory. And so for this first session in the Generous Living as Disciples series, I'm going to be talking today about the king on kingdom investing. The king on kingdom investing. Jesus wants us to really assess as investors what we do with the wealth that we have and which direction we push it, which direction we funnel it. And really, he does this so that we get the maximum returns on any investments that we make. Because the reality is this, I, I do see an tendency in us that we invest in things that ultimately tend to enslave us if we don't have the power of God to get out of that. But a theme that Jesus shares with us here is that generosity actually frees us from the enslaving power of stuff. And I do want to go through that theme. I want to talk about it with you. And it's not primarily so that you will bring money up here and put it into this box. I do hope that you will consider what God might lay on your heart so that you will. But I want to talk about the condition today like Jesus does first of your heart. Because if God has that, everything else will get into line. Everything else will be taken care of. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 6. And here's what I see in this text this morning, three main ideas. The first is a command that Jesus gives us, and let me just give you the points right now. He says, in the first place, do not invest in earthly treasure, but heavenly treasure, verses 19 and 20. He also gives many reasons why we should do this, and we could say it this way, we need to calculate your rate of return. I, I'm no um, accountant, so... Uh, I don't know the formulas for this. Some of you here might to calculate a rate of return, but Jesus gives some reasons why we ought to do things that he says. And then finally, we do need to talk about what it means to invest generously in heavenly treasure. And that will be at the end and the way that we apply the things that we learn today. So my friends, let me read once again these verses just to get our minds back into this text. Look down at your Bibles at Matthew chapter 6 and follow along as I read verse 19 to 23. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. This is God's word. Well, let's look at point number one. Jesus tells us in these first verses, do not invest in earthly treasure, but heavenly treasure. And as we go through this, I want to point out that in this section, I will focus almost exclusively on what Jesus means by earthly treasure and the reason why we should not invest in it. We have to understand the, the situation that Jesus recognizes in us. He knows that we will have the tendency to look at the things of this life as being most important. And he knows that we, as his followers, will get into situations where we know we have a Father in heaven who cares for us. Nevertheless, we're going to try to stock up some things just in case God doesn't come through for us. Jesus knows our tendency. And there's no room for us to be double-minded on this issue. He wants us to realize the stakes, and he wants us to receive his grace so that we can change. All right, so Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, doesn't just appear out of nowhere. It's in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. That's what Jesus has been teaching from Matthew chapter 5, and he will go through Matthew chapter 7, and that will be the entirety of his sermon. Matthew chapter 6 right here in the middle, deals almost exclusively with the the Christian disciple's relationship with his or her father. This is God the Father that Jesus introduces us to in the relationship that he has with God. In Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1, Jesus talks about several issues. He talks about prayer. He talks about giving to the needy. He talks about fasting. And he says that in each of these areas, you can either do it in a way where you can show how good you are, or you can do it in a way that highlights how good God is. And if you aim your heart and your life towards God, he says several times, and the Father who sees you in secret will reward you. And this is what Jesus presents as the opportunity and as the, the, the family relationship for every Christian disciple. They have a heavenly father who loves to bless his children. And that's why in the prayer that he taught them, he taught them to pray, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses even as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Right? The King James Version comes back to me as I say that. But here's what Jesus was doing. The Father knows you. The Father loves you. Now, turn to him and trust him. 
And in Matthew 6, at the end of the chapter, he's going to deal with the anxieties that we face about those things we pray about, about our food, and about our lifestyle, about what we need. We're going to be tempted to be anxious about those things, and Pastor Sam, in a couple of weeks, will preach from that passage to help us deal with those anxieties we face. But here, in this text, Jesus deals with the tendency that we have to turn to materialism, to turn to the stuff of life, to get the satisfaction, the protection, the fulfillment, the validation that we seek. And he wants to break us from that idol. All right, so when Jesus says here in verse 19, do not lay up, I want to explain just a couple of these terms. The reason I say invest is because lay up literally means to invest could also be said to, to store up. You know, just think in earthly terms. Whenever you deny yourself an immediate pleasure because something in the future is more needed, right? You are investing. Think about your insurance that you pay every year on your car. You're not likely able to come up with that sum every month with your monthly paycheck. So you know it's coming. You put it up and you invest so that you can pay towards that when the bill comes, right? There are bigger things. Think about your kids and they're heading in a direction. You want to make sure that they're cared for in the future. So you invest in their future, denying yourself certain things right now, right? We're all presented with the opportunity to invest in the, the way that might help us in the future. And the needful thing is to deny ourselves something down here in the meantime. Jesus is saying we're all we all are experienced with that to a degree, but he's saying it matters where you place your investments. And he says it's better to invest in the treasures of heaven than on the treasures here on earth. And now, likewise, we need to understand what this word treasure is all about. Treasure. You know, it's, it's something that we see in this text, and what is the one word that you immediately think of as a synonym? Anybody? I don't know if I've heard it. Money, right? Money. That's what tends to come to mind when we see the word treasure. But in Greek and in English, this is not the word money, All right? Some of you look at this text and you say, well, this is just for the rich people because they're the ones who have the treasure. No, treasure is treasure. Treasure is whatever you treasure, All right? You can be rich and you can have treasure. You can be what the world considers poor and you can have treasure, because treasure is what you value. Treasure is what you attach your heart, your energy, your love to. And Jesus used that word very strategically. This has nothing to do today with only those who are wealthy or rich by some standard. And, and here's the deal. I could have a million dollars in my wallet. I don't. And if suddenly I was whisked in the spirit to some deserted island in the middle of the South Pacific and no one ever found me again, do you know how much that million dollars would be worth? Zero. So we assign value to things and our standards sometimes become these standards that seem to matter to everybody. But the standards that matter are the standards of Jesus. And he's calling us back to deal with each of us 
the treasure that we tend to covet and hoard. So I want to say that there are certain things that we do need to invest in here on earth. And for my benefit and yours, I'm going to list a few of those investments that we do make on earth. And here is a level of those that you must do. The book of 1 Timothy tells us three. Um, you need to provide for your household. That's 1 Timothy 5.8. That says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, that is his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Right? Jesus said this right, to the apostle Paul, and that's how we've got it in the Bible. That's a level of earthly investment that you must make. All right, another one is you must be content with what you have. All right, that's a, an investment principle about things that we deal with here on earth that Jesus says we must bear in mind. First Timothy 6, 8 says, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. All right, that's, that's a level of investment that you need to make, food and clothing. You need to consider things that you have to live on. Likewise, you are to enjoy the good gifts of God in this life. 1 Timothy 6, 17, it says, For everything created by God is good, and nothing should be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. That's 1 Timothy 4, 4. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. And that set, section of scripture doesn't say who richly provides us with all things to deny ourselves, right? God actually gives us all things to enjoy. So Jesus is not saying that your 401k is evil or that paying a monthly premium for term life insurance to provide for your family when you're dead is wrong. He's not saying that vacations to create family memories are taboo. By using this word treasure, what Jesus is really dealing with is what's happening at the level of your heart. And that touches every single one of us here in this room. And there is a level of earthly investment that you must not make. In reality, friends, there's all kinds of things that, that are treasure and considered treasure to us. Um, I think that in some cases today, if it's not the money and the amount of money that you have, could it be your house? Um, are you perhaps house proud of what you've been able to get and the furnishings that you've been able to, to put inside your home? Perhaps your treasure could be your husband or your wife or your kids. All wonderful parts of life and gifts of the Lord Jesus to you, but nonetheless not capable of being your all-satisfying treasure in life. Could it be your status and position? Maybe what's most important to you. And how would you know this? Well, you typically need to ask yourself, what do I think about most when I'm not asked to think about anything else? Or what am I most afraid of losing? Could it be your status and your position? You treasure what people think about you and their good opinions of you are most important. Could it be your job or position? Treasuring what you have achieved. And you're constantly thinking about how you can protect that keep that close. My friends, no matter 
who you are or what you deal with today, you're dealing with the tendency within yourself to default in one of two directions. When I was a kid, I went to a, a Christian camp, and it's funny how when you're a kid, certain things just stick with you. No matter how old you get, you, you tend to go back and remember them. Well, as I was at this camp, one of the speakers was telling us and challenging us that there are two ways to live. You can live for the kingdom of God, or you can be, as he said, a TLO Christian. And I thought, what does TLO mean? And he kept saying it, TLO, TLO. And finally he said, it's this life only. If you want to be a follower of God, you can't be a TLO individual, this life only. There's all kinds of things that we can treasure, my friends. And I want to encourage you that Jesus is not saying that we should not invest in anything here on earth. But what he's saying is we should be so careful of that line we, we cross so gradually so that everything to us, every investment, is because we think that the things of earth are all important. That nothing in heaven could be quite as good as what we have down here on earth. And that we must protect it no matter what. Jesus wants us to be free of that type of tyranny. Now, Jesus is so kind when he gives us this principle, which really is a command. Do not invest in earthly treasure. He gives us some reasons why. And that's the second point today. He wants us to calculate our rate of return. And I have several reasons that I see here why Jesus tells us that we are to be careful and really thinking truly about the level of our hearts and our affections, what we're placing our value on. Why should we not invest primarily in the things of earth? Why should we instead invest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, Jesus tells us first that earthly treasure wears out or gets taken. If you look at the text again, he says that the things of earth are subject to moth and rust. And that word rust, down in my footnote, it says that it could actually be the word decay. Decay. You know, it, it's so easy to find over time the things that you have put up and stored can be invaded by vermin, by bugs, the things and the tools that you use and take such good care of nonetheless get rusty. I can remember just a, a, a few days ago, my wife and I, we, we tend to use this electric hand mixer all the time. And we looked down at the blades one day and my wife asked me, where did that rust come from on our whisk blades? And I had no idea. The only conclusion I can come up with is it decayed. And that Jesus tells us the things of earth will wear out. And think about your, your homes, my home. As if God has blessed you with a home, that, that's such, it's a wonderful blessing. But the reality is, friends, none of us can guarantee all the time that our homes are the fortress of solitude. You think about that. Even Superman's fortress of solitude was broken into. 
if you like Superman. You probably know that's, that happened in one of the movies. Our homes are, are not safe all the time. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to remind you that the reality is we live in a fallen world. No matter what you do, you can't prevent everything from happening that would unnerve you or unsettle you. Jesus lived without a home, and he's not advocating that all of us do that. Obviously, if he tells us elsewhere that we are to provide for our families, he doesn't mean that we are to sell everything. You know, husbands don't, you know, if, there's very, if you're here this morning, I perceive that you are very zealous. You could be in the mountains exploring the changing leaf colors, but if you are here, you want to know what God says. Yeah, you know, if you leave here today and think, well, that means I've got to sell our beds and just put some sleeping bags out on the floor so that we can give that money to poor people, that's not exactly the message that Jesus is saying to you. It may be to some, but it may not be to everybody. It certainly is not. What Jesus is getting at here is that he wants us to think carefully about where our treasure is because it can be taken or it it is subject to decay. But there's another thing that he wants us to know, that earthly treasure can never fully satisfy. The truth behind that reality that you can observe is that reality of the writer to Ecclesiastes when he says that all things that he pursued in life, wealth, building up his houses, studying animal husbandry and reading books, um, certainly knowing too many women, right? all these things, he says, are vanity. That means an empty pursuit. It's like trying to catch the wind. No one has ever caught the wind. You can harness it, you can direct it, but you can't catch it. And that's what these things of life are like. If you try to chase beauty all your life, you will find that it eventually slips out of your fingers. If you try to chase health, you'll find that eventually you can't catch it. All of these things that we tend to put our hope in, they never fully satisfy. And Jesus knows this. And by the grace of our King, he wants us to calculate the rate of return. All of these things that you tend to put your hope in, that when you don't have them, you feel kind of nervous and upset. When you do have them, you feel nervous and upset because you're afraid of losing them. Jesus says, that's no way to live for the people who have God as a father, Christ as their king, and brothers and sisters around them who are living for the glory of the kingdom to come. You know, a hundred billion years from now, I know that we are not going to be worried about the things that we didn't quite get when we were down here on earth. There's nothing that will satisfy here. Ultimately, what we are looking for is the kingdom of Jesus to come. He satisfies. Now, Jesus could have just had us there and we could say to him, Lord, I believe you. Yes, this is true. I know they don't satisfy. I know my stuff wears out and gets taken. So Lord, I just give myself wholly to you. We sing songs like that here 
and we give ourselves back to the Lord, and yet we still find ourselves drifting back towards our stuff. Why? Well, that's the next thing he says. Earthly treasure actually can control your heart. Whatever you say with your mouth, Lord, I believe you. Right? He wants you to recognize that mere words don't realign you with him. What realigns you with him is when he has your heart. He says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, it's amazing how the best things here on earth can be revealed to be a treasure to us by what happens when they are taken away. You think about what happens if you are a heavy investor in the stock market. What happens when it's several points down for two weeks in a row? Your mood is a little disgruntled, you're upset, you're worried, you're anxious. It comes out in how you interact with people around you. You're more quiet and sullen. You know, for the rest of you who, who don't do that and don't invest in the market like me, you know, what other things might be revealed as our treasure by what happens when they're taken away? Well, one of the things that was revealed in me this week was how much of a treasure I put into the state of our nation. I'm going to digress for just a minute because I hope it's helpful. I want to talk about what we do as Christians when things are not quite what we want them to be. And we're talking about today the kingdom of heaven and not the kingdom on earth. How do we really align when we go through a rocky political season and a general election that has us squirming even now as I look around as I speak? You know, here's what I found in me this week. I was so invested in what happened on that Tuesday. From that point on until Saturday morning, I would wake up every day, and you know what? I didn't have time to pray. I needed to check the electoral college count. <laughs> and so I looked at the AP updates on Google. I checked the Senate. I checked the House. And every day, I grew a little bit more anxious or angry or fearful, a little more snappy at my wife and kids. My stomach was all tied up in knots. Do you know what all those things reveal? That I was placing an inordinate amount of attention on the things that were happening in my country. And I'm speaking about myself right now, friends. I'm not speaking about you. But I will speak about you in just a minute, wherever it seems to fit, okay? <laughs> I, I recognize that there are a lot of good things that happened this week. You know, one, people got out and voted in unprecedented numbers. Uh, young people were invested, even my own children, so young, were invested in the electoral college voting and what was happening there. Um, and you went out, as many of as, as, you, as you could, you voted showed up in Knox County when I looked at the map. But this week, I was convicted where I thought, Lord, how have I been a source of disunity, potentially among people? How have I not been salt and light in pointing them to the eternal hope of your kingdom? 
And then by God's appointment for me, I was convicted when I read one article by biblical counselor Mike Emlett when he says, we may have noticed some things in ourselves like this this past week. And I put them up here. They should appear. You know, we could have experienced some anger. Whenever a treasure is taken away from us, we have a tendency to respond in, in one of several ways. Perhaps it was anger. And the attitude that could be is, those people have got it all wrong. They are destroying our way of life, and they have to be stopped at all costs. Anger. Fear or dread. Oh, no. The wrong person has been elected. We're doomed. Self-righteousness. How could any true Christian think that? We know the right way, and clearly God is on our side. Cynicism or hopelessness. What does it ultimately matter? No one seems to be able to overturn the poverty and racism that is the air my family and neighborhood breathes day after day. Control or power. If we can get the right person in the right position, then we will be calling the shots. Or demeaning speech. Put in the parenthesis. Person X is an absolute idiot. And so are his or her supporters. All right, that, the list, that list of responses convicted me. And I am not saying that. I hope that was not someone leaving because of what I'm saying here. All right. I, I think that Christians are called to be responsible citizens and to engage in their, their civil government at the local levels, at the state levels, and at the national levels. But I also know this. When things don't go the way that we tend to want, whether you're red or blue, we tend to think that we have the right to embody several attitudes that are actually the lusts of the flesh and not the fruit of the Spirit. And I confess to the Lord some anger, some fear and dread. You know, that can drive a lot of money decisions and how we funnel our money and how we channel it and how we invest and what we think. And so, friends, what I'm doing at this level is not making this the entirety of the sermon, but where it's appropriate to talk about what we've been dealing with this week is to bring us back to focus on who God is and what his kingdom is about. When Joshua was about to invade wicked, pagan Canaan, the angel of the Lord appeared. The captain of the armies of the Lord appeared. And Joshua said, are you for us or are you for them? And he said, no. <laughs> I'm the leader of the angel armies of the Lord. So, and, and that's where we need to get back to. The reality this morning is this. We have a kingdom that cannot be shaken, according to Hebrews. Amen? Amen? We praise our God who reigns from his throne. And the empty systems of the world where people are investing heavily in their treasures will prove in time to be empty. And who will be waiting there to help those people see that there is more to life than that? It has to be us. People who are invested in something beyond this earth 
and who know, who know that there is joy that's everlasting, that there is treasure that is invested in a place that no one can touch. No one. Because Jesus has given it to us. All right. Jesus then speaks in verse 22 of one more way that we need to count our investment return. And that is this, that earthly treasure can blind you to eternal riches. It really can. And that's why he talks about eyes. This actually fits. These verses might seem to be kind of a a turn in the teaching of Jesus, and we may not be so certain what it's about. Um, But what Jesus is saying, I think you'll see, relates back to what he's just said. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Jesus was very concerned about how we see the way forward. Do we see God as the greatest treasure that we have? Do we see our Father and the riches that are there in his presence? You know, when he says in the Psalms, at my right hand are treasures forevermore, do we believe that he holds those in store for those who love him and can't wait to be with him? And in the meantime, are so changed down here that they just see people around them in need and that their hearts are opened with generosity and their hands don't clench so tightly on the things of this earth? Or do we tend to have kind of blurry vision, not really certain that God is there and cares about us, not really certain that he is truthful to who he says he is. And these people around us, I mean, they're just grubbers trying to get after our money. Or I, how can I help them when I'm, I'm, I'm worse off than they are? Right? Appearances can be very deceiving. And the only way to see properly, like Jesus says, if, is if our eye is not all cloudy and sooty. You know, imagine a lamp in a room A lamp gives off light, but over time, if that lamp actually gets smudged and if soot covers the glass, then that light is going to become dimmer and dimmer and dimmer, and it's not going to light up the house. Jesus is giving us an idea about what it means to have a healthy eye. A healthy eye is one that sees clearly reality. Do you see the reality of the kingdoms that are in front of you, friends? A bad eye is one that is clutching. It's a way that the rabbis used to describe as somebody who is stingy, as somebody who doesn't want to look at other people and their needs. I'm in it for me and taking care of me. The healthy eye is the one that is opened to God and opened to the needs of people around. But honestly, earthly treasure, if you're stingy and if your eye is bad, can cause you all kinds of Uh, just trouble and ultimately blind you to the reality that there is a kingdom in heaven where riches can be stored and can be invested. And that's the final point today. Invest generously in heavenly treasure. Matthew 6, 22 to 23 also tells us, like I just said, that the healthy eye sees things rightly. 
It has in clear view the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of earth. And we can agree with Jesus what he says, and we can make investments in the right way. Because the one way that Jesus gives us to free ourselves by his grace, not by our works, but by the grace he gives from the stranglehold of stuff is to remember the generosity of our God and to see what we have as his provision to be generous like him. What do we need to see? First of all, see your gracious God. Do you see God as gracious to you today? Do you see him as lavishing on you his grace? Grace for salvation and grace for every other day of your life. Romans 8, 31 and 32 says this. What shall we say then to these things? And these things are a bunch of troubles that Christians face. What shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then this verse, which I memorized long ago and treasure. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The grace of God in salvation that rescued you from your sin is the grace that God continues to lavish on you every day of your life. You need it, and I need it. Most of my financial dilemmas, I have backed myself into a corner and thought, how can I get myself out of this? An unexpected bill comes. Unexpected, not ones that I was regularly paying. Or a health crisis afflicts my family. Or a huge procedure has to take place with money that we don't have. How many times I think back, do I back myself in a corner and think, okay, I can sell this, I can work extra, I can do all of this stuff, and I can get rid of some of these things that we don't need anymore. Oh, that's still not going to be enough. Who do I need to call to borrow money from? In the meantime, and all of that sinful anxiety, it's not every time, but many times, God provides exactly what we need exactly when we need it. I can think of the time that my glasses got all scratched up because I made the foolish mistake of sliding some sunglasses over them while trying to drive, and then they were scratched all the time. I couldn't see out of them, and I thought, it's really important to have glasses I can see out of. My insurance had already uh, paid for those glasses, and I, it was a foolish thing for me to do to try to put some sunglasses on over them. We had some other things our family needed, so I just waited, and I didn't get it. In the meantime, we had a bunch of baby clothes that we gathered up and gave to somebody, because we didn't need them anymore, and we were trying to bless them so that they would have what they need. And then I, I found, at that time, a $100 gift card to Costco in my box here at church. And I had gone around trying to find the cheapest place to buy lenses out of pocket, and it tended to be Costco, and the price of it was right, right around $97. We talked about it at home, and that's what I was able to do with that $100 gift card to Costco. All kinds of things happen to us when we least expect it, when we are just in the middle of, of life. And I'm going to tell you, friends, God comes through for you at times when you're not even trying to live for him. But how much we, we miss 
when we do not see clearly the graciousness of our God. Well, there's so much more I could say, but I want to close with this. Investing generously in heavenly treasure results from seeing this gracious God and then seeing your wealth as God's provision to enjoy and share. 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19 says, As for the rich in this present age, and I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say, compared to what Paul was thinking of, that's just about every one of us in this room. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, so don't be proud, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This is what God is about for us. The generosity that we can share does not earn us eternal life. Jesus has done that for you already. But by the grace of God, he changes your orientation in life so that your goal is not to hoard, but to enjoy. And your aim is not to store up for yourself, but to be generous and share. Because that's the way God is. And you can't outgive him. I'm so grateful for that. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we so thank you for the grace you give us. Grace to receive. Thank you for providing for us again and again and again. We, we want to look back and see your faithfulness. We want to look back and see your gracious generosity. Please, Lord, help us not to continue laying up our hope in the foundation of this earth's goods. Help us to receive them with glad hearts, but also to turn around with gladness for our great Redeemer and to share, to do good, to lay up for ourselves true riches that will truly lead to life. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.